Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this is Bookin', brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is David Menconi. He is North Carolina's 2019 Piedmont Laureate. His newest book is Step It Up and Go, the story of North Carolina popular music from Blind Boy, Fuller, and Doc Watson to Nina Simone and Superchunk, which is published by our friends at the University of North Carolina Press. David, welcome to the program. Great to be here. It's an honor to have you here, David. And um, first, over these past five months or so, I've been asking everyone um, how their life has been different under COVID-19 and how they have to approach the um, the marketing of their book differently. In this specific case, um, I am particularly struck by how different our lives are under COVID-19 because... Um, not only do we live in the same town, but I live probably about three houses down from you in the same neighborhood, and here we are um, still sitting in remote locations, uh, talking over the phone, recording this in the interest of everyone's safety. So um, how has this time been different for you as far as how you're approaching the marketing of this book? Well, uh, yeah, in-person readings are not going to happen, which is a real shame. We had a lot of things in the works involving live performances. I was going to curate and MC a uh, Step It Up and Go stage out at the North Carolina State Fair mm. with some bands, mm-hmm. uh, and that's all That's all gone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're, we're doing what we can with virtual events. Uh, I'm, I'm doing one with uh, Tom Maxwell mm-hmm. and John Worcester from Superchunk. Uh, another reading type thing so uh, yeah we're, we're doing what we can there but yeah uh, book festivals and readings and things like that uh, are just off the plate this year which is too bad it is yeah and John Worcester from Superchunk um, as the two of us know I'm sure is uh, um, kind of a music history book junkie so I'm sure that he's very excited to talk about this uh, this book Step It Up and Go is an outstanding book. I, too, am a sucker for a great work of music history, and this is definitely that. Uh, I first want to talk about Charlie Poole. Um, Before I read this book, I hadn't consciously listened to Charlie Poole. I say consciously because um, I played my songs at plenty of Beer and Banjos shows with Hank Smith and the Beer and Banjos All-Stars at the Raleigh Times in downtown Raleigh, so I'm certain I've heard plenty of Charlie Poole songs without realizing it. But um, upon reading about him and that he had not been admitted to the Country Music Hall of Fame, I was ready to go out there and campaign on his behalf purely based on the quality of the writing in the first chapter of this book. Uh, David, why isn't Charlie Poole in the Country Music Hall of Fame? That is a good question. He, he totally should be. Um, you know, he, he hasn't had an advocate the way the Carter family had Johnny Cash. Mm. Um, the reason that Carter family, I mean, they're great, don't get me wrong, mm. but they weren't the only ones. But they had a number of advocates, most notably Johnny Cash, going around talking about them, playing their songs, and kind of advocating for them and keeping their memory alive. Mm. Um, Charlie Poole has had plenty of people telling his stories and playing his songs over the years, but he hasn't had an icon like that really take up his cause. And that's probably what it would take at this late date, unfortunately. 
Yeah, let's find that icon, David, and let's get that going. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you write uh, that as with Rembrandt and Mozart in death, Poole's art was not even an afterthought. Uh, his death certificate identified Poole as a mill worker rather than a musician, and he was buried in an unmarked grave. Um, why are so many great artists not recognized for their achievements in their lifetime? Is it because it takes the public a while to catch up, or because corporations that own uh, these musicians' music can capitalize on them more properly after their death, or some other reason? Well, you know, in, in his case specifically, he was just such a such a screw up that um, he he didn't take care of business in such a way that he would be well remembered because he just didn't really think about things much beyond the next party. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for it's uh, I think that's typical of a lot of artists who are better at the art than the business part of it. And um, tastes and fads kind of come and go. And this happens a lot more than we even realize, you know, that just people slip off the radar when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And it's the exceptions, you know, the Charlie Pools and the Nick Drakes who uh, kind of wind up coming back into fashion, as it were, after their death. There's a little bit, there, there are some markers of Pools' existence now. There's a marker on his grave and some, some signs in uh, Eden, which is the former spray where he lived. But uh, yeah, there's some things like, the Hall of Fame that we were talking about that he's still not in and should be. Right. Um, we're going to continue sort of along these lines for the next couple of questions. Uh, I want to talk about Blind Boy Fuller. You write that Blind Boy Fuller is on uh, Durham, North Carolina's Mount Rushmore of blues musicians. Led Zeppelin rewrote one of his tracks as Custard Pie. Um, yeah. The Stones have Get Your Yaya's Out. Jump Little Children is named after one of his tunes. Uh, and yet, Durham's leaders are, as you describe them, indifferent at best to Blind Boy Fuller and their own overall blues history. Why do you think this is? Well, Durham's been kind of iffy about history in general. I mean, they basically destroyed the Haytai district to make the Durham Freeway. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the blues history was, was part of that whole neighborhood and it went down with it. Um, you know, just for a long time, this this music, when it was current, even wasn't taken all that seriously. It's not like you were reading about it in the newspapers. Even the African American newspapers kind of look they uh, look down their noses at it as this sort of low culture thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only in retrospect that uh, it came to be appreciated for how important it really was. And as is often the case, it was um, white kids from England who uh, took it a lot more seriously than anybody over here. Right. And um, sticking again with this thread for one more moment, let's talk about Winston-Salem and the five royals in particular. And the five royals, they were... um, Is it royals or royales, David? Royales. The five royales. um, An R&B group who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, There is a street in Winston-Salem called Five Royales Drive, and you spent some time knocking on the doors of the residents who lived on this street. Almost none of them knew who the street was named after. Um... Why do you think that so many people are not tuned into the rich cultural history surrounding them? And what does it tell us about the status of the arts, not only in North Carolina, but in the United States as a whole, that we have allowed this to happen? Wow. Well, we, we tend to take this stuff for granted. You know, we turn on the radio, it's there. 
most people it's hard to generalize but the, the the people who are seriously into it like you and me we pay attention to where it comes from and who's doing what but yeah most people music consumption is kind of a passive thing mm-hmm. they hear it in the air it's you know what's on in the background at work and they don't take it much more seriously than that and it takes work and money and effort energy time to preserve these things and uh bring them to the public's attention and it takes commitment that is it's just easy to fall by the wayside you know and uh, unless you're really making an effort to preserve this stuff it'll go away that's what happens right and is it part of the mission of your book step it up and go to bring the importance of these artists back to the forefront of our cultural memory oh sure um i was privileged to be the music critic at the News and Observer for almost three decades, 28 years. And um, I got to witness and kind of live a lot of it right up close. And uh, it just seemed like a great story worth telling and uh, to try to set this down and preserve it. Um, It's not a memoir, but there are certainly some elements of that in it, just because it was kind of my life for so long. All right. Thank you so much, David. Listeners, we are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with David Minconi. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Coil Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story. That supports community. Listeners of Booking can get a three month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro FM, that's L I B R O dot FM, and enter Bookin, B O O K I N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with David Minconi, author of Step It Up and Go, published by our friends at the University of North Carolina Press. David, you have described Foggy Mountain Breakdown as to bluegrass what the Rolling Stones' I Can't Get No Satisfaction is to 60s classic rock, the ultimate genre exercise not just for one individual artist, but an entire style of music. And someone in your book described living in the time of Earl Scruggs uh, as analogous to living in the time of Bach or Beethoven. Can you please, for our listeners, draw the line from Bach and Beethoven to Earl Scruggs? <laughs> well, Earl Scruggs was a true virtuoso, um, you know, like Paganini on the violin or something, and I believe the New York Times likened him to that at, uh, some years back. But, yeah, he was a guy who came along and popularized the style of banjo and did it so definitively that it came to be known as Scruggs style banjo. And there's, there's very few artists of any sort that uh, have a claim like that. So yeah, he perfected it and set it down and defined it in such a way that everybody who has come after him is uh, kind of responding to that, you know, trying to put their own spin on it, of course, but he set the parameters for bluegrass banjo. Thank you, David. Um, later in this book, Step It Up and Go, uh, you talk about Doc Watson. 
And Doc Watson is introduced as someone that music just likes to be around. Can you tell us what that means and about Doc Watson um, all the way through Merlefest? Sure. Uh, Doc was a really amazing character. Uh, I would not claim to know him. I really was only around him that one time, that scene in the book. I saw him play lots of times, but I uh, only got to spend basically an afternoon with him. But it was really amazing just the way he relates to the world. He seemed to have, uh, funny, I just said relates as if present tense. He's been, been gone a while, but mm-hmm. he was just such a presence that it's like he's still here. Mm-hmm. But um, just the way he related to the world in terms of sound and music was a big, big part of that. Um, you just almost kind of heard music the way he moved, the way he talked, um, he'd kind of hum a lot. He's just an extraordinarily musical person. And it was really enhanced, I think, in his case, because he was uh, sightless. Mm-hmm. So sound was really how he related to the world. And uh, I think it was just fate that he was going to wind up a hotshot guitar player. Right, and um, that scene in the book where you met him, by the way, is amazing. Forgive me if I'm misremembering, but I believe you said it's an honor to meet you, and he said, I'm regular people just like you, or something along those lines. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, Thank you, David. I'm going to skip ahead a bit in your book to Mitch Easter uh, and Winston-Salem. Mitch Easter was responsible for the production of so many great albums, one of which was R.E.M.'s Murmur. David, was R.E.M.'s album Murmur responsible for your eventual relocation from Texas to North Carolina? (laughs) Not 100%, but it certainly got North Carolina on my radar. Um, I tell a story at the beginning of that chapter about the first time I ever heard Murmur, and it just put the zap on my head in a major, major way. Mm -hmm. Um, A whole lot of what followed in my life and uh, becoming a writer had to do with that record and my reaction to it. And um, the fact that it came out of North Carolina was fairly amazing. I mean, that was a time when lots of bands from out of the way places were popping up. And for REM, this band from Athens, Georgia, of all places, who recorded in Winston Salem and Charlotte, um, and just to come up with this absolute lightning bolt that so many people, including me, responded to was pretty amazing. Yeah, thank you, David. And thank you, Mitch Easter, for um, at least being partially responsible for getting David to North Carolina. (laughs) Um, You ended a blind date early so you could go home and listen to Murmur. Is that correct? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, And yeah, the the, uh, person on the other end of that date, sorry about that, but um, (laughs) she didn't seem too broken up at me fabricating an excuse to break it off early so I could go get that record and listen to it. Um, Certainly not anything I'm proud of, but it's just how much of a record geek I've always been. (laughs) Right, well, it sounds like it worked out for everyone. Um, (laughs) David, there was a period of time uh, in music after grunge hit and listeners, if you're a fan of the grunge era, please reference the episode of this podcast with Mark Lanigan from The Screaming Trees that we released a couple of months ago. Um, but David, there was a period of time after grunge hit when Chapel Hill was believed to be the next Seattle. And there were so many great bands that came out of this era, Superchunk, Pavo, Archers of Loaf, Metal Flake Mothers, and Frisbee. Uh, but the two that really hit were the Squirrel Nut Zippers and Ben Folds 5. Why do you think that these are the two bands that broke through? 
they just caught lightning in a bottle for whatever particular reason um you know this the zippers were all these slumming punk rock musicians who were playing this kind of speakeasy hot jazz as a lark because it was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and it was nothing anybody took too seriously but um they just happened to come up with a big hit song i mean for starters the live show that they did was amazing Mm -hmm. so they spent a good year after their first album came out in the mid 90s out on the road winning over fans and uh, they had a lot of goodwill out there with the sort of npr college radio public radio audience um to where they were going to do pretty well but then they had this one song the single hell that uh, caught on at a big commercial rock station in los angeles they started playing it and next thing you know they're rocketing up the charts and uh yeah just one of those really fluky weird things um that you can never predict and ben Folds five was kind of similar i mean they all came from more of a hard rock background but they were playing this real polished pop but with some rough edges to it and uh then they had this anomalous sensitive ballad about a teenage abortion that caught on so yeah it was two very freaky lightning bolts that you never would have predicted i thought that was very very funny that for all the attention chapel hill got those were the two bands that were really heard beyond the city limits right yeah i remember um when i was growing up outside of charlotte with their um alternatives rock station 1065 the end and they had picked up hell by the squirrel nut zippers and i knew they had really broken through when my dad came home with their cd it's like all right my dad's buying this they've reached the next level um so thank you david i'm next going to ask you about ninth wonder uh ninth wonder is a hip-hop producer and professor uh he hit it big by producing little brother and then jay-z amongst others what i would like to talk about is his contribution to kendrick lamar's album damn an album which he produced the last track duckworth uh you write that in a lot of ways duckworth stands out as damn's most important track closing the album out with a real life autobiographical tale that sounds like a movie treatment can you tell us about this track and about knight's contribution yeah uh that particular song was about kendrick lamar's father who was working at a chicken place and um you know, some fairly tough characters would come in there and he would curry favor by giving them free food, you know, throwing in an extra order of fries or a little extra chicken. And then when uh, the day came that one of those tough characters was robbing the place, Hmm. uh, he happened to be working and uh, they made a point of not hurting him while that was going down. Well, one of those guys wound up uh, signing Kendrick Lamar to his record deal, Top Dog Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so that that song kind of tells that story about the irony there. And uh, you just never know if if, uh, his father had been killed then, he never never would have come along. And uh, you know, that none of this would have come to pass. And uh, Ninth, he first worked with Kendrick Lamar on his own album, back in the early 20 teens and uh they kept in touch and he had rhapsody do a verse on one of kendrick lamar's songs on to pimp a butterfly 
And then uh, Kendrick Lamar came back to him and had him produce that song. They were trading beats and things back and forth for a period of months, all very secret, very hush-hush. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, when the album kind of came out, he could uh, start talking about it. And he told his history of hip-hop class at Duke about it one day, and it was just an amazing scene. Right, and you um, argue for this track being the most important on the album. And even though it is the album's last track, it is also arguably the album's first track, as um, Kendrick intended for the album to be listened to in reverse. Did you ever do that? You know, I didn't. I should go back and do that. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, it gives it a whole new spin, because he he actually released uh, digitally um, on Spotify and Apple Music and the like... um, a version of the album with the reverse track order. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I definitely <laughs> recommend checking it out. Um, finally, David, I would like to ask you, why did you choose to end this book with a chapter about American Idol? Is that the state of the music industry now that American Idol has the final say? <laughs> well, mostly it was chronology. That was kind of the most recent mm-hmm. part of the picture. Um and I felt like American Idol was worth a chapter just because it was this weird thing. And North Carolina was more successful than any other state at it, which another pretty weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was reflective of the music industry kind of falling apart the way it has been in recent years. And into this, it used to be very cut and dried. You put out a CD, you released three, four, five, six singles and videos if you could and if things worked out you went multi-platinum and everybody was happy and now you've got streaming and youtube and spotify and all this stuff and it's become very amorphous and fragmented and uh not at all clear kind of how you put out a record or make a living anymore and uh, american idol was kind of a step along the way to that and uh, i thought it just made a, a good sort of end point um I thought about ending with the Americana chapter with his Golden Messenger, which kind of goes into the present day. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like American Idol put more of a more of an end point on it, and um, that chapter was fun just because a lot of the music that came out of that thing is not really my bag, and um, some of the reader reactions over the years to things like Clay Ake and reviews were fun and funny to mm-hmm. go back to. Yeah, you got kind of uh, a lot of hate for your Clay interview, right? <laughs> I did. Um, yeah, and um, I believe that the title of that chapter mentions Fantasia Barino, Clay Aiken, and Scotty McCreary. Um, I was wondering why Caleb Johnson wasn't in there, um, but that but I saw him later in the chapter. And then there are so many others from North Carolina. It's kind of mind-boggling. There is uh, Kelly Pickler. Um, I'm Bucky. What was his last name? Covington. Bucky Covington, and then, of course, Daughtry, um, who no one can ever forget. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why do, you, why do you think North Carolina produced so many um, winners or um, winners by way of being runner-ups on that television series? Yeah, it's, it's funny. A lot of the runner-ups kind of wound up the winners, like mm-hmm. Daughtry and Clay Aiken were far more successful than the winners of those seasons. But I have asked a lot of people over the years what's the deal here why and how did this happen and nobody's ever really been able to come up with a good answer it's funny somebody from the washington post that one year when we had you know four people in the final eight 
mm-hmm. um, called up and, and actually interviewed me. Why? And, and I, you know, I don't know. I <laughs> said it might be something in the water. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's just a another strange, fluky thing. We seem to be uh, good for that here in North Carolina. Absolutely. And David, there is so much in this book that we did not talk about. Um, Arthur Smith, Andy Griffith, Beach Music, Nantucket, Merge Records, John Coltrane, uh, Branford Marsalis, Nina Simone, the Avid Brothers, Sylvan Esso, John Darnell, all of whom are covered um, at length in this excellent book. But we have to give listeners wanting for a reason to go out and buy the book. And listeners, please do. It is so good. One of the best works of music history and scholarship that I've had the privilege to read. Uh, We are very lucky to have it. I have been speaking with David Minconi, author of Step It Up and Go, the story of North Carolina popular music from Blind Boy Fuller and Doc Watson to Nina Simone and Superchunk which is published by our friends at the University of North Carolina Press. David, thank you so much for joining me. Honored to be here. Thank you. Once again, I would like to thank David Menconi for joining me. Signed copies of Step It Up and Go can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one month of free audiobooks and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.